Welcome to a new episode of What Exactly Am I Watching Here, a proud member of the Overthink Podcast Network. I'm your host for now, Jason Helms, and I'm joined by my good bud, Dominic Lang. Say hi, Dom. Hi, Jay. Good to be here. I am joined by my damn fine cup of coffee. and uh, Damn fine. Excited. Excited to talk some Twin Peaks. Well, I only want to die or change. Before we begin, a quick introduction to the show. What exactly am I watching here is a podcast that features an expert, myself, and a novice. Myself. Watching one of the great shows of television history. For now, our show is the cult favorite, Twin Peaks. We're diving into Twin Peaks, The Return, and we're going to take it one episode at a time. Today, we are on part 13. And, Dom, the thing you need to understand is it hurt when you had my arm here. When it really hurt down here. See, yes, right here. See, right up here. This is comfortable. good. This is comfortable. But when when I had it down there. When I I had it down here, that hurt. That hurt. Okay. See? Good. Okay. Okay. So, uh, So let's get into it. Yes. So we left off. Uh, with the return of Audrey Horn, uh, maybe not the return, but the reemergence of Audrey Horn, because we last left her in uh, a bank explosion, and we weren't sure as to her condition. But she's here. She's married to her accountant, yep. uh, and she's really concerned about Billy. Of course, of course. Uh, the Blue Rose Task Force is has doubled its uh, its number, so now to include. Diane and Agent Preston. Uh, Sarah Palmer, definitely not feeling well. Um, yeah. Uh, ben wants to give Frank a key to give to his brother, Harry. Uh, it, it sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a good idea. And nobody's asked about Las Vegas yet. Somebody asked about Las Vegas already. I, thought, I don't know. Come, no, I'm just saying somebody needs to ask about Las Vegas. Come on, somebody ask about somebody. Let's do this. Yes, it's it's Let's high time it. that somebody asks about Vegas. So, um, yeah. All right, so um, <laughs> we open the, <laughs> yes. the episode. So right. we, we're just looking at the notes. We can't stop laughing. Yes. So we we open the episode <laughs> in probably the like the most hilarious opening yet uh, with with of course a conga line, yep. uh, consisting of the Mitchum brothers. Uh, our Agent Cooper there, Dougie Jones, along with Mandy, Sandy, and Candy. <laughs> you said it with a straight face. It was great. Yeah, I almost I almost got there. Uh, and they they come into the offices of, of Bushnell Mullins, where Dougie works. And this is bad news for Sinclair, for our, our venerable actor, Tom Sizemore, because Sinclair set this up so that Dougie would be eliminated. And he sees Dougie coming in best of friends with the Mitchum yep. brothers and Mandy, Sandy and Candy. So Sinclair calls Duncan Todd, who tells him that he Sinclair has to kill Douglas Jones himself. So yep. not at all what he wanted to hear. Uh, we get a wonderful, albeit creepy uh, playset in the backyard for Sunny Jim. Uh, the boy doesn't have a gym. N- well, a a, uh, a gym set like a. a <laughs> no, play- I, I, I <laughs> love that. The boy doesn't have a gym. Every boy's got to have a gym. <laughs> oh yes, every kid needs a gym set. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. The Mitchum brothers, out of the benevolence, out of the goodness yes. of their heart, uh, bestow upon Sunny Jim a new playset, a new gym set, and it, it's a gym set that has lights and plays Swan Lake. So 
this is a pretty snazzy gym, gym jungle gym. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and here's, <laughs> here's where things get a little funky. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Not the weirdness of the Congo line. Not, uh, not the Swan Lake playset. No, no, no. Things are going to get weird. No, but the, the arm wrestling gang. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so Doppelkoop, alive and pissed, uh, follows Ray to a hideout where their leader, Renzo, is the leader because he has beaten everybody via arm wrestling. I love their smiling and nodding as though this is just the most badass, coolest thing in the world. Yeah. So this, like, this is, nobody's blinking here. Nobody, this isn't a joke. and. This is the one moment in the entire series so far where I'm kind of with Doppelkoop on this one, yep. Yep. <laughs> where he says, what is this, kindergarten? Yeah, and <laughs> full, full audience stand-in for that. Yes, yeah. So, of course, Doppelkoop takes on Renzo in an arm wrestling match, and I'll, like, hats off to David Lynch, because the more this match went on, the creepier and, and more tense I became. Um, I got super anxious and super nervous the entire time because a, I knew Renzo was done. As soon as they sat down at the table, I knew Renzo was finished, but I didn't know how. Yeah. And the way in which Doppelkoop just plays with him and toys with this person that everybody thinks is the strongest, most badass, and just treats him like, a toy. Yes. Uh, and not only beats Renzo, he snaps Renzo's arm and punches him in the face with, and kills him with one punch. Yeah, it punches him so hard in the face that his face like breaks in half. Yeah. Like. His I mean, face like just, caves in. Yeah. Uh, it's rough. Yeah. It's, it's pretty gnarly. Uh, so Doppelkoop takes Ray and gets information from him. Uh, revealing that Philip Jeffries is the supposed person behind the hit on Doppelkoop. Mm. And the reason that Jeffries wanted Coop or Doppelkoop dead is that there's something inside him that they wanted. And we see again the green Twin Peaks ring yep. that was supposed to be put on Doppelkoop's corpse. He has Ray put the ring on and then he kills. Doppelkoop kills Ray. The ring vanishes, goes back into the waiting room where Mike sets it back on the table. That all makes sense, right? That's do, you, do you ever worry that you'd be taken out of context, like in a deposition? <laughs> I, I kind of do. Um, I kind of do, but I'm just going to go with it. Cool. No, keep rolling, man. You're, you're yeah. doing it. Uh, uh, and okay, so at the at the very end, or right before Doppelkoop shoots Ray, we see Richard Horn, the evil, supremely dickish grandson of Ben Horn, who apparently is also part of the former Renzo's crew. He he must have lost at arm wrestling. Must have, yeah. So he's good at beating up grandmothers. Terrible at arm wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. We go from there to the Fusco brothers, the the three detectives of Las Vegas PD, who, for a moment, actually have the information 
they need the like, basically like as an audience, we see that they have all the pieces. Yep. And they take all of the pieces and th- literally throw them into the trash. They ball them up. And I think one of them gets a dollar for making yeah, bet on whether or not he could make it. Yeah. And one of them gets a dollar. I mean, it's basically like Shakespeare in the sense of like these two, these idiots actually stumble upon the right information and they don't know what to do with it. Like they, they don't see the truth before their eyes and uh, they're all the greater fools for it. Uh, so it's, it's a little, it, it's actually not upsetting. Uh, I was actually able to enjoy that moment. Good. Yeah. Good. You're falling into it. Yeah. Um, this is After great. 13 episodes, I'm falling into it. It's, yeah. This is healing. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a process. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So from, yeah. from a pretty frustrating scene, scene to one of my favorites, uh, probably my favorite of the episode. Um, let's get into uh, Sinclair trying to poison Dougie. Um, yes. Yeah. So Sinclair being tasked with uh, killing Dougie our beloved Coop, uh, his plan is to poison Coop's coffee. And it's a fairly, like, fairly easy plan. Coop loves coffee and stands to reason they're going to get a cup. He's just going to put a little poison in, and that'll be that. Uh, They get the cups of coffee. Coop goes off to gaze at a slice of cherry pie, naturally. Uh, Sinclair puts the, the poison in, and after doing so absolutely breaks down yep uh well coop walks up behind him oh yes coop walks up behind and, him and, and sees his dandruff and starts connecting it like it's constellations mm, on the back of his shirt yeah. like just this intimate like oh look and that dandruff connects to that one and let me touch the back of your shirt just very very gently mm-hmm. and of course sinclair I, my own interpretation is that sinclair interprets this as dougie knows yeah right D- dougie sees what i've done and yeah. he's waiting for me to say something yeah and I think just like the tenderness of it and like Sinclair Sinclair's just waiting to be found out. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's ready to break. Yeah. And it, it takes Dougie just like the simplicity and earnestness of Dougie uh, that breaks him. And not only does he confess to Dougie, but he confesses to his boss. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was became a murderer. I can't believe it. You saved my life, Dougie. You yeah. saved my life. Oh my gosh. And it's it's so good. Like for all of the examples and moments of toxic masculinity of monsters, this is actually like a penitent man. This is yeah. actually someone who is acknowledging his action. And wants to better himself. Like, he wants to make restitution. Yeah. Uh, for Lynch, it's it's weird because it, we're not so much in an evil world. Evil certainly exists. And people that, I you know, I wouldn't call Sinclair good. But there's a sense in which he still has good within him. By being human, there there is a conscience uh, still acting on him. And, and I like that. Yeah, it's it's not a, a simplistic world, and yet it's dealing with these really big metaphorical concepts of good and evil. Yeah. Uh, so to have Sinclair have that turn was really fun. Yeah, uh, fun to watch at least. It uh, it reminds me a bit of I think toward the end of season two, 
where Ben Horn has all the books of the world religions. Yes. And you see Ben wanting to do like this big good. He wants to just have this monumental shift. And you almost want to tell him, it's like, just do one good thing today, Ben. Yes. And then yes. do one good thing tomorrow. Like yep. that, just that smaller shifting day after day. And to see a moment of lament and sorrow with, with Sinclair, it's actually it's very refreshing. Yeah. 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 Uh, ben definitely tried to do it all at once, replacing his stogies with carrots. Um and I'm not sure Jack's advice was the best of uh, do the do the biggest good thing first. Uh, just do the smallest good thing. Yeah, do something. Yeah. You're not ready for that. You'll you'll get there. Um, um, you know what I'm ready for though. Let me tell uh, you. Let me tell you what. Slice I'm, of pie. I'm ready for a slice of pie, and I want to get my friends, uh, my friends Bobby, Norma, and Big Ed. Oh, that sounds like a great time. Yeah, I want to. I want to have have a slice of pie at Norma's Double R Diner. What? So Big Ed's sitting with Norma? What, what do you think's going on? Well, they're sitting together, and I'm thinking, okay, I think here we go. It's been it's been 25 years. Ed and Norma are living happily together. They've got a wonderful life, but not really. Not, not so much. Uh, heartbreak. Norma perks up when our good friend, good, when our, when Walter, let's just call Walter him. Walter walks in. When Walter walks in. When our Walter. When, yeah. He's he's our Walter, and he walks in because apparently he's gotten Norma to franchise the Double R Diner, and there's five Double R's in, in and around the area, and this very much felt like Lynch's critique of capitalism, of a mm-hmm. franchising, just a very personal thing, and the loss of that personal touch. Uh even in the sense that, like, the pie at the other locations doesn't taste the same as the other locations. And because they're using cheaper ingredients, because they're not doing it the way that Norma does it, there's it's just not the same. Yep. And it's sad. <laughs> you know, that one, that was disappointing. Not in a, like, oh, I don't like the episode, it just... It was sad because I wanted Ed and Norma to be together. Yeah, it's. I definitely felt that at first, and now I'm. I'm wondering if we might not have felt cheated. On the other hand, if, huh. what if we found out that Ed and Norma had been together for the last twenty years? Mm. It feels almost cheap in that way. Of when last we left them, they they'd been separated. There was all this. There was no way they could be together. Yeah, and he was uh, back with Nadine. Oh, um, right. And have she... all that happen off screen would just, that would hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I'm not sure that which one hurts, you know, less, mm. uh, which one's the better move. But um, yeah. yeah, neither neither are that great in a sense. No. Uh, speaking of Nadine, you, men- oh, yes. you mentioned Nadine. There seems to be something brewing over at Run Silent Run Drapes, which is... Greatest store name ever. Yes. That, without question, this is the... <laughs> If we can agree on anything, one hundred percent, that is the best name for a store ever. All right. If if Twin Peaks ends tomorrow, if yeah. it turns out they've lied to you about the last four episodes, oh whoa, and they don't exist, yeah, this is the last one you get, and you you've got no resolution, right? All of this this pain and all of this torment, yeah. Will it all have been worth it for Run Silent Run Drapes? 
No, but it'll be close. <laughs> it'll be really close. <laughs> thanks for thanks for considering it yeah. for a moment. It crossed my I like Yeah. Maybe. Um so Dr. Jacoby uh is driving by, sees the golden shovel in the window, stops, puts it in reverse, and rings the doorbell. Uh Nadine comes out and they share a story of when they last saw each other. And it's it's kind of a strange story. Shocking, but right. uh, but it's very sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's very sweet yeah, and, ver- and very two, two really broken, damaged people mm-hmm. um, finding this this love. Yeah, here. shoveling their shoveling their way out of the shit together. Shoveling their way out of the shit. Yeah, uh, uh, that and I mentioned that we had the reemergence of Audrey Horn. Yeah, back to Twin Peaks' real favorite couple. Yeah, Audrey Horn and Charlie. Charlie. Ugh. Uh, and it still feels like they're having the same conversation. It almost feels like the same night. Yeah. They're still talking about going to the double R. I mean, I, yeah. I think it is the same night. Yeah. Okay. It, it very much seems that Audrey is in a, an infantile state or at, at the very least a, a trauma affected state. Yep. And like you had talked, you brought up a theory in regards to, kind of Twin Peaks world connecting to our world in some way. And their story in some ways bleeding over into our story, the, like the, the John justice, Billy Zane theory. Yeah. And her quotes and lines about story seem to really lean into that theory a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when she asks whose story is that Charlie and she says, I don't know who I am, but I'm not me. Yeah. And at that point, I don't know who's talking. Yeah. You know, and it's, it is quite sad to see, excuse me, to see Audrey in this uh, damaged condition. This, like, this condition feels different than, like, Dougie and Coop. Mm-hmm. That feels more just like a possession. And Dougie is a persona that needs to be dealt with, like, gone away. But Audrey, there's emotional, mental trauma that's happened that is just has kind of calcified over. Yeah, and and so yeah, that was that was a that was a hard scene. Yeah, it's tough to figure out what's what's gone on with her because we've got so little. But I think you're right in seeing this deep trauma and damage that's happened to her. Um, we've alluded to possible trauma that uh, she is probably Richard's mother, and that it's quite possible that uh, Evil Coop is the father. Yeah. That second part, we don't know. I believe it has been confirmed at this point that she's, uh, or or implied pretty heavily that she is uh, Richard's mother. Yeah. And maybe just having Richard as a son is enough to to cause that trauma, that kind of uh, sense of regression of just acting like none of this is real and not not feeling like any of it's real. Yeah, I mean, Charlie has the really threatening line, am I going to have to end your story too? Yeah. And I'm not sure what that's meant to mean outside of pointing towards the metaphor. In other words, is he threatening his wife that he's going to murder her? Because that seems so out of character, not because Charlie is a, a good guy, but he, he just seems so milk toast. Yeah. Right? He's done nothing else that seems abusive other than he, he might be toying with Audrey. There may be some emotional abuse and manipulation that's going on, it's, it, but it's really tough to tell. Yeah. It, uh, it almost feels like a seesaw motor function Westworld kind of move of like, mm-hmm. 
I'm going to have to stop your story. Like we're going to have to stop playing this game. And feels like he's, he knows what narrative she's on. Yes. And she's tripping up like the record's skipping in a way for her. Yeah, absolutely. And then what is his role as the accountant? Uh, what's the metaphor working there? Mm. Uh, Cause it re- it really feels like that metaphor that I talked about last time. If that is the theory that's, that's working through it, like the accountant has something to do with it. He's, is he a stand in for Lynch? Is he the director? Is he the writer? You know, but he's, he's connecting these dots and that, that line just shook me to my core. Am I going to have to end your story too? Yeah. Right. When, when Lynch has spent the entire season, not giving us Audrey, mm. uh, the one character, I think most of us wanted back the most. I, I certainly did. Yeah. Uh, I was oh, yeah. on the edge of my seat waiting for Audrey to come back. Yeah. So. And then even just the way he brought her back in almost like you almost missed it. Or I almost missed it. It just happened so casually Yep. to see her in this state. Uh, so we end the episode kind of a, a twofer. Uh, we go back to the Bang Bang and our very own James Hurley. Uh, his catalog of music has not expanded. Nope. But his vocal cords have remained fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love this. Uh, I, I do miss that he, he I don't think he's singing with his lover and his former lover's twin cousin, though. Yeah. That, uh, I do miss out on that. Yeah. So he it does a reprise of Just You. Mm-hmm. And it's fitting that the last scene after that is actually Ed, Big Ed, alone in his his gas and tire shop. Very much a relic. Very much almost like a, an echo of things gone by. And it feels fitting that just you is the song uh, that ends this episode because it just, it feels like just kind of a marker of things we're not going to get back. Yeah. And maybe that's true of Audrey also. I don't know, but it definitely feels like it's meant for Ed in regards to Norma the thing that you pine for, you know, Ed always carrying a torch, but never quite able to be with Norma for whatever reason. Well, I can't add to that. Uh, so I think I got to get us out of here on that very sad note with the hope that in the next four episodes, maybe we'll find some redemption, I hope uh, so. some hope. Hope so. So thanks again for joining us on what exactly am I watching here for next time? Uh, we're going to be working through twin peaks, the return part 14. Uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter, uh, where our handle is at OverthinkPod, and find more at theoverthink.com. I'm on Twitter as at Helm Street, and Dom, where can people find you? On um, Twitter as well, at Dominic underscore Lang, and on Instagram, uh, Dominic Lang. Until next time, just you and I, together, forever, in love, Dom. In love, Jason. <laughs> <laughs>